Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode four of this Martial Life podcast. Uh, I was joined by Shihan Patty McClintock uh, from Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, probably one of the kindest, uh, nicest, and um, come to find out one of the most interesting people that I've had the opportunity to speak to so far on the podcast. Um, lots of great history with uh, Shihan Patty and just a great attitude to go along with it all. Um, one thing I recognized at the end was that we barely scratched the surface, um, especially with the stories that she has to tell. Uh, but even in the time that we spent together, we really, um, or I really got to know a little bit more about uh, her background and, um, you know, starting martial arts uh, in, in the 70s and late 70s. Um, as with uh, several of the people I've talked to already, um, things have changed a lot since then. And it, we've covered a lot of that. Um, and I think the the perspective that Shihan brings um, it, from from her experience, I it just sounds like she's had essentially the same um, welcoming attitude to all new things um, that she's tried and continues to have that attitude um, as she moves from uh, you know thinking about martial arts as a sort of singular. Um, style-specific practice to something that weaves into everything that she does, and also uh, taking a look at um, how fitness plays a role in the martial arts. Um, some really interesting uh, tidbits in this one, so I hope you guys uh, enjoy it. And uh, just a reminder that if you have ideas or uh, things that you'd like us to cover on the podcast, definitely get in touch, um, Bill at thismartiallife.com is the email and hopefully in the next few weeks I'll be publishing the next one. Uh, not going to spoil uh, anything about uh, who's on that one, but uh, it should be a good one. So looking forward to sharing this with you all. And again, reach out if there's anything that you'd like to hear. You can follow us on uh, iTunes or subscribe on iTunes or on the Google Play podcast store, or uh, you can send me an email at bill at this martial life com and I will send you the appropriate links and you can sign up from there. Thanks so much and enjoy. Perfect. I think that's perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's no, good. No, I, I figured outside would be really cool with all the plants and trees, but there's too much noise. No, that's that's fine. I I actually I came down to the office because I forgot um I forgot the microphone. Uh, I forgot to bring the microphone home. So there's inevitably going to be uh, some sirens and street noise coming in, I'm sure. <laughs> That's all right. It just makes it more real. Totally true. Totally true. Um, so are you in Minneapolis or San Diego right now? I'm in Minneapolis. Um, I, um, I, I, okay, so chronologically, I, uh, I moved out there in 84, moved back in... Uh, 97. Well, for two years, I lived in both places. I came back kicking and screaming, but I had uh, become a grandmother and there was no California grandma to be had. I was going to be here. And then um, I went back briefly after I was laid off from a job I had in corporate America. I went back and 2013 for two years uh, studying for my medical exercise specialty and uh, doing some Tai Chi training and um, so anyway I uh, so since 2015 I have been working at the the Y 
for it'll be three years this November and um, like all of us we need a job for sure <laughs> well and, and but but it was never I knew I'd never move back out there because my family's here uh, it was a I call it my sabbatical yeah if you're gonna study and change careers again because I want to get out from behind a desk and do more do more self-defense do more um, um, you know, uh, you know, kind of, you know, looking at, well, okay, here I am at, and, um, life is evolving and maybe it's time for me to, uh, go back into coaching and training again and, um, and keeping my options open with both self-defense whenever it would come up and, uh, and the personal fitness part just became a big part. But the, I don't know if I ever told you this, but the, the how I got into personal training was I had no intentions of doing it, but I had had a bad car accident. In um, uh, okay. I had just moved back here, and a year later, I call it the welcome wagon welcomed me over in St. Paul, on, <laughs> and I was in a uh, I was rear-ended by a Toyota Land Cruiser. I affectionately called the welcome wagon. And I couldn't teach for six months. I mean, I was, um, it was pretty significant. So I ended up with a personal trainer after I went through rehab, and I just felt they were responsible in partnership with me to get my body back. I totally lost the power on my right side, which was my power side, which was like really freaky. So I fell in love with the concept of trainers. And then as I got older, I went, you know, now that I want to kind of go back and revisit that, I think I need medical exercise <laughs> experience because the people, as they're aging, have options, you know, issues. So, for sure. Anyway, so I just kind so, of that's a little background that I do. I, I do get to teach uh, through the YMCA. They do set me up occasionally, like with doing some courses at like Blue Cross Blue Shield. I just did like a one hour personal safety class for them. So, so they do utilize me, and I do teach when I can. Um, not as much as I would like to, but so uh, that that relationship, even as an employee with the YMCA, they they kind of help connect you with um, with teaching opportunities. Yeah, they. I would say they they utilize my skill set, which is really cool of them. That's awesome. Uh, they're the ones that actually. Uh, they said, hey, we're looking for someone who wants to get certified to teach this Tai Chi for arthritis. And I went, hello? <laughs> you know, like, like that's got my name on it. And uh, <laughs> because what I truly, uh, Bill, you know, I just, in going through three systems of martial arts, I learned, I can't even begin to count how many forms I and katas I had to learn. And I, all I can re remember is by heart is Nahachi one from the first system, which was Shorinru, because I went off in another area. And so to be able to learn forms in Tai Chi is just, it's just rekindling my first love of martial arts and doing the forms. It's just, it's just a beautiful thing. So, well, maybe I, it's, it's interesting yeah. to, to, to me, at least, um, having started in Kung Fu 
and then move moving over into Chinese Kempo, there there was a big difference, and I think a lot of it had to do with teaching style too. But um, how how detailed and how how much perfection was required in a kung fu oh. form versus in a Chinese Kempo form, where things are a little more fluid and um, you know there, there's a little more leeway there. It, do you find that with Shornru versus Chinese Kempo versus Tai Chi? I find a lot of differences, and I feel that's what kept propelling me to learning new things because nothing was the same, but there was this common flow and this common root of information and common truth, so to speak, that kind of brought it all. You knew it all came from the same place at one point. And, um, you know, and it, I, I think with Tai Chi, I had attempted to take it from, um, I don't know if you've heard of a gentleman um, by the name of Parker Linekin. He's out of uh, the San Diego area, and he was one of, um, uh, okay, who's the, Ed Parker's uh, black belts, and he's he's a, um, I, I was connected with him through one of my self-defense students who was taking uh, Kempo from him, at any rate, he, I studied with him, or he also was a Tai Chi master. So periodically, I would try <laughs> to learn from him. And my heart was in it, but my head wasn't. You have to focus. It requires taking a respite from anything that could be bothering you or any distractions and you have to really focus it, which you do in martial arts as well. But like you said, it's a little more fluid. Uh, there's a little more forgiveness in things. Right. Um, and uh, so I, I find that I'm understanding why there is so much research going into um, uh, Tai Chi right now. Right. There, there were 11 medical research tests done last year. Everything from uh, how it impacts the brain, uh, the Arthritis Foundation already supports it, the CDC promotes it. Uh, I, I get a lot of personal training uh, clients that come in and say, you know, my doctor told me I should really take Tai Chi. So for so many things. So I'm, I'm just, I'm like excited and hooked again on uh, on. Uh, which I know there's people that want to believe that it's just a, a discipline and it's not a martial art. But, you know, as a martial art artist, I have no reserve or any issue with calling Tai Chi a martial art. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think there's just because Tai Chi moves slowly doesn't mean that there's not, like you said, it all comes from the same place. Yeah. Um, the focus might be more internal than it is with Kempo or other, other systems, but there are still great ways to apply Tai Chi in, in real life scenarios. I mean, you need somebody to show you that if you're just starting out, like you, you can't just assume that, you know, um, you know, the, the drawback and then the pushes and all those things that are in there. It's just, it's pretty amazing. Um, and it to is. have an instructor that's willing to show you that and walk you through that, um, is, is very important, I think. Right. Well, Parker kind of gave up on me. He said, 
He goes, you're the worst student I've ever had. <laughs> and he could only say that to me because we were colleagues on another level. And uh, he actually had all his um, martial art black belts, uh, his female martial art black belts go through my self-defense training because he wanted them to understand it from uh, a different viewpoint other than just the you know traditional martial art piece. So we've been um, colleagues for for years, and and um, he's just totally shocked that I've ac I'm actually teaching um, Tai Chi right now. He loves it, but he he told me that um, he goes, uh, "You didn't practice, did you?" And I said, uh, 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 "No." <laughs> But do I get any extra points for showing up knowing you're going to really ring me for not practicing? And he just rolled his eyes. But I just, and it was because I, I, I knew I was going to be coming back to Minnesota and I was really distracted. So I find that with people at the Y that take uh, Tai Chi. Some of them start and if they cannot slow their brains down, they're out of there the next session. They don't, totally. re they don't, they don't re-up. And I think if people get it, if they get that it is much more complex than you would ever think and that it takes concentration, focus, and that um, it uh, requires that you have controlled movements that have to be uh, slowed down and your brain has to focus and slow down. I think it's a beautiful thing. I think we all need Tai Chi right now. And I, I think timing is everything. Yeah. I, when I look back, I go, you know, I'm really glad that I, I mean, I was older when I got into martial arts. I was 26. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine jumping through the air and the break falls. Hey, have, have we started this interview? Are we interviewing oh, now? Oh, yeah, yeah. Or we're, we just, we're, we're rolling. We're good. Oh, good, good. Because I, I, I got some really good stuff coming up here. And I just wanted <laughs> to tell you that, that, you know, of course, I... I would have never been one of these people that would have looked in the yellow pages back then. We had yellow pages. Right. And I just say, I think I want to take karate or martial arts. I was a divorced mom of two kids, uh, 18 months and four years old, and uh, wow. had a lot on my plate. And I, uh, try, and I knew I needed to increase my income, so I went back to college. And I walked in... Um, the gym at uh, Inver Hills Community College and I had signed up for a co-ed karate class and I walked in there only because it was Monday night and it fit my schedule and it kind of sounded fun. I walked in and it was all men, <laughs> like the whole yes. gym. And I just like did a 180 and I was just <laughs> lunged out of there and not before this hand came and touched <laughs> my shoulder. And it was Richard Smith. Oh my gosh. The instructor. And he said, Wait, did you sign up for this class? And I said, Yes, I did. But there's, I thought this was co ed and there are no men or no women in this class. And he goes, Oh no, come with me. He says, There's a woman right there. <laughs> One other woman. <laughs> well, that was quite unusual because going forward, uh, there were, uh, it, it got to where I think even by the time I left and kind of moved over to uh, Bobby's 
a system, I'm there was probably 40% women uh, most of the time. But I will tell you that the scared, freaking out person ended up going back in there only because of his gentleness, his kindness, his, he's a salesman, let me tell you. <laughs> that Richard Smith, he is, um, he is, I learned so much from him about positive reinforcement, about inclusiveness, about uh, listening to people, about making people laugh. He had that, he sandwiched things like, um, I, I still remember him, you know, when we started, we would, would go down and we would, um, you know, close our eyes and he'd say, close your eyes and, and calm your heart and brain and, and just forget about any everyday issues. And so we did some meditation and we did, and this is like 1976 and just really got us to like it was just something different and then we get up and then we start going through the drills and I was hooked and I I I ended up becoming the first woman to take the black belt test through him that's awesome at, through his college system uh where he he worked at several colleges and uh that was a big honor and uh, you wouldn't have ever known it if you could have seen my face when I first w initially walked in and was, you know, in sheer <laughs> panic and terror and running out of there. So I, we wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't for Richard Smith, Shorn Rue, karate. I, man, I, I, think, I, I think the the people who stay in the arts for as long as, as, long as you have, as long as I feel like I have, I, there's, there's always... There's always that moment uh, when, yeah. when somebody somebody pulls you back in when you think you're done or when you think yes. um, yeah, whatever. It, it I love that. I love that uh, that part of it. And I think there might also be people out there that just kind of stay in because it's uh, it's who they are. But I I, I like to believe that there, that everybody has had a moment like that where um, you just you just feel connected to it in a different way. So that's, that's I think fantastic. It was destiny on my part. And I think it was a pivotal moment in my life. And um, walking into that gym absolutely changed my life uh, in a, a very profound way. So, so I, it's. How many, uh, how many women did you recruit to come to that class after, uh, after you started? Well, I think it helped a lot. Like I said, there was one other woman in the class, and I think that uh, the more women saw women, I think that probably helped. I think um, it might have been the times. It might have been the the 70s. It could have been many other things. We used to do demonstrations all over the area, and I think that would bring students in. And then, um, and uh, and he also let me bring my kids. Um, oh, that's awesome. I would. I kind of followed him because he taught at Inver Hills. And so how I got more training is I would go to Lakewood uh, College and um, and follow him around and assist in the class, which is the beautiful thing you learn about martial arts at whatever level you are, you can turn around and teach somebody something. Mm -hmm. You can share your knowledge with someone. And I will also tell you that probably the biggest, um, well, there are many things about your first system that you always remember, uh, but I just 
at times went, why do we have to continue to practice these breakfalls <laughs> on the ground, every test, every day, falling from the side, falling from the <laughs> back, front rolls, front breakfalls, back breakfalls. I go, honest, really? But you know what? Of everything I've learned in self-defense, I've never had to fight five guys off in an alley. I've never had to, not that I would recommend that, but um, but what I've done is I've, I have fallen upstairs. I've fallen across a driveway floor. I have fallen, I, I cannot tell you how many times I've fallen since I was 26 years old. And you know, I've never broken anything. I It's somehow from that repetition and reinforcement, it's just there when you need it. And I um, and right now the, the single biggest uh, concern about people aging is falling and breaking things. It's a, yeah. it's a huge deficit to our, our, uh, our big medical bill and costs um, for especially seniors um, growing older. And I will just tell you, I'm credit <laughs> that that first system with with so many different things and um i just recently you know i i left there and i i met bobby um from um bobby brongan at the uh from chinese kempo at that time uh at tournaments mm -hmm. because i ventured out into the tournament world i was mostly a I used to say to people, hey, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I don't really want to go sparring, but that was part of the deal too. Yeah. And um, but I love the forms and the kata, and I ended up um, doing a lot with the size and doing side katas, and uh, which I learned from Dick R Richard Smith. And I met Bobby at a tournament, and I was just mesmerized. We would go, we, I would be in black belt weapons, and he would be, of course, first place. Um, <laughs> and then someone else would be second place. Every once in a while, there would be someone that would give him a run for his money, but he was never less than second, but mostly always first. And then I would be fighting down there with, I forgot his name from Tung Soo Do. He would do a, I would do my side kata, and he would do his form with a, with a knife, uh -huh. a knife kata. I think he, he was Tang Soo Do. And we were always like fighting for third and fourth, you know, yeah. it would be one day it would time it would be him and it would be me. And, um, but there was such a large <laughs> chasm of talent between uh, Bobby and, and us. And I just was so taken by him and just uh, loving the, the uh, circular movements and that uh, um, I just, I was mesmerized. So he invited me down to be a guest. That's how it all starts, you know. Yeah, yeah, he exactly. invited down to Des Moines to be a guest for a guest judge for some testing. And then I was just, I was hooked. And they just treated me like family. And it was wonderful. So um, then eventually I tested um, for Bobby's black belt. So. so you you had gone through the uh, the curriculum the the uh, Brongan Kempo system and and learned all yes. that stuff too. Yeah, that's amazing. I was not. My intention was never to collect different black belts in different systems, but it was that I 
I was so mesmerized and and actually I brought back some of the Kempo experience that even Richard Smith um, incorporated. I think it was Ram's Fist uh-huh. or one of the one of the forms. And I remember that um, Mike Crawley. I'm not sure if you remember who he is, but uh, he just the name sounds really familiar. He he recently passed away last year, and um, but he was one of Richard Smith's uh, black belts. And um, when I, after I became involved with um, um, Bobby, I and the Chinese Kempo, I was at a level and um, where if, if I wanted to, I could create another system or do a hybrid, and that's what I did. I, 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 I made a system that kind of merged those two in some innovative, creative way, which, of course, just created a nightmare for anyone who was going to take it over. But, um, <laughs> but it, it, it had all the breakfalls. It had all the – I just kind of pulled from both systems and, uh, and, um, and uh, you know, teaching martial arts. I, I mostly taught – I taught at the Jewish Community Center in St. Paul. I – had a group over in Edina, the community ed, and um, that was a really wonderful chapter of bringing um, bringing uh, young kids to tournaments and all that. So that was a really great chapter. So something that I think uh, some people that I, I know listen to the podcast have asked me um, to give a little more background on on kind of the differences. I think this is a good opportunity since you've been in both Shorn and which mm-hmm. is a Kempo style and um, Bobby's Kempo system. What would you say are kind of the, the biggest differences between those two? Well, when I, when I started Shorn uh, like I said, um, I think it, there was a lot of work with maybe different weapons. Mm-hmm. Like they were the Okinawan weapons, uh, you know, Tonfa's, uh, Sai, um, and we did the, um, Nunchakus. Um, so we did a lot of weapons, but it, and, but, well, the similarity was that it was 50, 50, 50% hands, 50% feet, foot techniques. Okay. Um, so it had that similarity. I think it had a little more hardness to it than the, um, Kempo had more, round circular movements, mm-hmm. but was still, I think, fi- considered 50-50, 50, 50, 50 uh, feet, 50 hand techniques. Um, so I think it was, um, to me, the biggest difference was probably some of the, um, well, in, in, in Bobby's case, he incorporated some of the Fil- Filipino fighting arts too, which sure. added another dimension to it right. that added more, uh, excitement I guess you might say or whatever so so I'm not sure if I'm clear on that I think they were both they're not hard style so to speak but I think that the Shornru Okinawan system if you had to say one had a little more linear movements it would be that one well and there's uh, still I think a lot of um a lot of similarities you can see a lot of similarities especially in the kata uh where it's I think it's 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 a cool thing, especially when when 
styles, when people take styles and they combine them, uh, they pick different pieces from different styles, there always tends to be this one really traditional or one really, um, there are aspects of the forms that kind of stick through throughout history. Like you see upward blocks, you see inside blocks, outside blocks, all those things, they still retain the same, uh, it's still the same concept as it, as it always was. And I would hope, my hope is that over the years, you know, I, I sometimes think about this. If I showed, uh, Kata number one whispering tree to somebody, uh, from Okinawa, like maybe, 150 years ago, how would they, how would they rate it? Um, you know, trying to keep that in mind and, you know, it's, I'm sure things would, would, uh, I, I wonder what that, what that experience would be like. So those are the things that I think about. So, That's and a really interesting, um, thought to throw out there because I think thing, I think techniques evolve mm-hmm. and, uh, I do believe that we can only hope that they would, um, be proud that we are continuing the art yeah. and that it may not be exactly the way their master taught them because I think there was more adherence to this is how it is and this is how it's supposed to be and those people over there who do that system this is why we are superior because we do it this way so right. I think it was just a survival thing. And if you look back in history, which would be a whole nother podcast, um, that, <laughs> you know, obviously people um, adapted, the um, Okinawans adapted because they had their um, metal taken away from them by the Japanese. So they just, they had wood and they had to use farm implements um, to use for farming. And then in the case that they were uh, attacked, then they were able to turn those farm implements into weapons and defend themselves. So I really, when I, I loved the Okinawans' story, I I found it easy to bond with that and to feel proud that I was taking an Okinawan form. Sure. When I was studying Shorinru, I loved the history of it. Yeah, there's a lot there. I, huh? I said there's a lot there. Oh, there is. So, um, so tell me a little, a little bit more about um, the time that you spent because I, I looked at your at your bio and the the different places that you've taught. Um, you know, really it, the, with a focus on community. So finding finding places in the community to to dive in. Um, what was the, the kind of that first um, that first experience that you had, uh, finding, finding something, uh, a place in the community to teach on your own. What was the, what was kind of your, what was driving you to do that? So are you, are, are you talking about teaching the generic self-defense now? Or are yeah. you talking about martial arts? Well, or martial about- arts in general, I think, uh, uh uh-huh. one of the things that I've always found interesting and have never, never had the confidence to do is to go get connected with the JCC, the local JCC or the YMCA and put myself out there to, to try and get in and and teach. Um, and well, the JCC was really simple. It was a Friday night. I was only a brown, I was a brown belt and there was a request for an instructor to work with some Russian immigrants, young is mostly young boys. And, um, they were Russian Jewish immigrants and um, they wanted to run a class on a Friday 
night. Well, <laughs> the other black belts went, I'm not teaching on a Friday Where's the night. closest brown belt? They'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, I started there, and, and it was, I think it was 1980 through 1984, I taught at the Jewish Community Center, and it really was an amazing experience. Um, and that's where I, uh, at I started out with the Shore and Rue, and then I had been working with Bobby during that chapter. And I think it was 1982 when I took his black belt test. So it was right in the middle of that I kind of made, turned, created this hybrid type of of uh, system. And um, anyway, he it, it was it was lovely to watch these young men and women grow up. Like I said, there was mainly young men, but they were all in the age group where, um, well, let's put it this way. Um, I found that martial arts had this unique gift that if you had a kid who was taking martial arts who was over the top, aggressive, loud, uncontained, uh, inappropriate, uh, out of control, that learning martial arts gave them that discipline and the confidence to just kind of mellow out and to be respectful and to learn those attributes that were important. Um, I used to have the students, um, part of their this hybrid uh, system I created was um, they, they had to recite the Bushido Code of Ethics with their test. Um, the only, the only, um, attribute that I did not include was redress, which I believe means suicide. And I, I just eliminated that one. I didn't think it, it was, uh, appropriate. I didn't think it was necessary, but I liked all the other ones that they're, they're wonderful attributes. And I think, um, it was an opportunity to work with the, uh, with their character and with their, um, showing respect and getting in control. And then just if you switch it all the way around and you get a child who has, who's very shy and timid and didn't, because it's all about confidence when you get down For to sure. it. It's all about how someone feels about themselves. They either act out or they act under or they um, are shy and um, not sure of themselves. So I think in both those cases, I saw that, wow, this is like the silver bullet for two totally different behaviors on the spectrum of young kids. And so um, I just, I felt really privileged to be able to provide that opportunity. It was just, I, it was, it was exciting. And the That's parents, fantastic. parents really got behind that. They went, I don't know, but you know, Johnny's really, he's just behaving <laughs> different and we're keeping him in this class. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Well, I think one of the things that I, I imagine that people have uh, a preconceived notion of is that, that you send your kids to karate uh, or into a martial arts class so that the instructor will yell at them and um, infuse discipline it, it, through the hard way. Uh, and I, I think that's a, a common misconception that, that we need to sort of get people out of the, the thought, that idea. 
Bill, I, I really believe that those classes do exist, and I feel that that is a technique that is um, is still alive and well in the martial art world. I don't know if I would use the word well, but it it's happening. Um, but I, I never learned that way. Uh, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't have the skill set I have. I wouldn't have had the opportunities to share the knowledge that I have with a variety of people if I would have walked into that gym and felt um, any negativity or, uh, you know, fall into line and, some, you know, some, no, I did, it's, it, it was more the, the kindness and the, um, the confidence building and the positive reinforcement. I, I think that, um, you know, to me, that's the kind of place that I would want to put my child. Right. And and how do you, how have you balanced the, because uh, I, I feel that there is um, a need for not um, not rank and file necessarily, mm-hmm. but, but showing respect to the people that have been there before before you have. And I remember Bobby used to teach us, uh, teach us that all the time. He'd remind us. And I, I think looking back, there are probably he was probably addressing individuals, but addressing the whole class and saying, you know, you need to respect the the people who have been here before you and who are your, um, uh, who outrank you and whatever. And you, that's why you say yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. To everybody that's a, yes. a rank above you and even your peers, like it just, it teaches, um, consistency. How, how have you found that like in terms of being successful in doing that, do you do you think there's um, a few things that worked really well for you that you do just every single time? And you probably it's probably hard to think about the things that you do every single time after having done them so long. But um, when you first walk into a class, what's that what's that like for you? Well, I think having the that traditional part where people line up and rank, where um, it's apparent, you know who. Um, it's just, it is a, a, a respectful, uh, exercise, so to speak, that the, um, that you line up in, uh, in, in rank that we bow not out of, we think people need to bow to us, but we're bowing in mutual respect for each other, for the art. At least that's how I choose to, um, assimilate that information and pass that information on people aren't aren't coming up and bowing to me as much as they're bowing to the respect of what we're doing mutual respect for each other so i think i think that um it's really okay to do that and to show those whether it's differences or that you know you're here and you're there because you have a higher rank um i think that does give credit where credit is due for the hard work that people do. And uh, and the other side, it's that it's not used as an intimidation factor. So I think that it's a, it's a quiet kind of a respect. It's just, it's a, it's not out of fear. It's out of trust. It's out of, um, uh, camaraderie. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think all those things, and it's and believe me, there were were there times where maybe one of the students was you know just out there doing something, and 
we had to say something. I, I, I just hardly remember those times. I just mostly remembered like, boy, this really works, you know. <laughs> and I, I think it was because I was taught by, at that time I had two senseis. I, two, I had Richard Smith and I had Bobby, and I felt like out of both of those systems, I was taught tradition, I was taught respect, I was taught, um, and but I wasn't taught intimidation or, uh, you know, there was a lot of humility with both of those gentlemen. Right. So I think it that you, you, you learn, and you absorb what is positive. And had I not experienced it in that way, I probably wouldn't have continued with them or yeah. kept my relationships with them. And I can say that all three of my instructors uh, from three different uh, martial art groups are all alive and well. And I feel blessed for that. That's awesome. Um, so maybe it means that maybe we could have a little long longevity if we're, <laughs> if we're in the arts. <laughs> I yeah I I have often thought about since you brought up the uh, tai chi and um, finding a new sort of being be being reinvigorated by by tai chi and that practice. I've thought about what what's next. Uh, for me as well, and I there's there's a struggle between teaching, finding finding new avenues for teaching or new avenues for learning, and I feel like I only have mental capacity to do one or the other uh, at any well, given time. Bill, I need to interrupt you. I'm doing both because I'm really a baby Tai Chi practitioner, but I know enough to turn around and teach it to the folks that I'm teaching. I'm teaching um, in an environment where you don't have to be a Tai Chi master to teach, but I am able to um, take what I've learned, and I am, I am a certified instructor through the uh, Tai Chi for Health um, group. So I'm still, you know, I'm staying certified, and I'm with... Uh, a, um, a a stable, you know, uh, testing group mm -hmm. where I feel that I'm getting good information and and um, am required to continue with my research all the time. So um, I think I just happened to luck into that that situation. But I don't have to learn and become a master and then turn around and teach. And e and either do you. Um, I can say that this this has been exciting because when you teach, you learn. Totally. As well. Yeah. So yeah. I and there's always an audience that need, that you you are up on in this area where you've learned a certain amount, and you can turn around and share that with them, and it just it 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 just increases your knowledge and it and um, improves your form. Sure. So I'm. I'm on my third Tai Chi form that I'll be teaching, which and I for, have. It's any, it's pretty crazy fun, huh? Yeah, I was gonna say for anybody who who's never learned a Tai Chi form before, they should know that learning one Tai Chi form takes a very long time. Yes. 
So three, three is quite the accomplishment. So kudos to you. Well, for that's that. three, and um, it'll be two years this fall that I studied my first one. Wow. So, wow. and I'm only, and I started teaching. I think. I mean, once you start teaching, you have to stay ahead. So you got to keep going. So this is the first time I. Um, well, it's really not that different than martial arts because when you were. Um, when you were, a, 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 when you learned and you were a yellow belt, um, you would turn around and show the white belts a form. So it, it's like you do it at every stage. So sure. I don't know. I think Tai Chi is great for, it's, it's good for health and for concentration and, uh, for so many different things that they're finding out there in the medical field. So I'm, I'm, uh. I'm happy to be in this arena right now. And do you uh, do you see a future where you'll take parts of um, the Tai Chi forms or parts of the Tai Chi practice and bring them into maybe the Kempo the Kempo system? Do you see that there op- there being opportunities there? Well, I I don't know about that. That's a that's a really good question. I think that um, that for me I. And, and you probably saw by my um, the information I sent you is that I I once I moved made my move to California um, I did go through that that third system out there American Kempo Karate but I think that was the turning point where I decided that I was going to move into a new arena which was the personal safety and self defense which meant that I was not practicing all my forms from the three systems I went through. And um, as difficult as it was to distance myself from the karate and the martial art part, I took my knowledge and I helped build a, a different type of curriculum. And so um that was something I, it, to, to me, it was something I had to do if I was going to take in all this new information and look at self-defense and personal safety from from more of a community-based place and not someone who was going to take martial arts and stay with it through black belt or... Um, so it was just kind of a whole new venture which actually required that I take you know, kind of put down the the martial art forms and focus on a whole new education for myself, which I created out there. Yeah, and I think it's amazing. I think there's um, there's it, there's still parts of all of your training in in your curriculum. So I think yeah. even if you say that you had to set it aside, I think there's still so much of that that's that's a i mean it's obviously that's where it came from so i yes um, you you've taken the the kempo spirit which is take away what doesn't work and only keep what does so i think that's yes. uh, that's amazing that's amazing and what well i, um, I go okay. ahead sorry I, I was gonna say that i've been um you know respected and uh by my instructors, my former instructors like Bobby and um, and uh, my instructor out in California, 
um, where they identify that I, I am doing something different. I am still a martial artist. I am I'm going down a different road, but I've been able to stay connected with my martial art families, which has just been has meant an awful lot to me to stay with that connection yeah. with everybody. And um, you know, in particular, uh, I really enjoy my trips down to Des Moines and putting my uniform back on and <laughs> and uh, and judging and just just being part of the Kempo spirit down there. It's it's pretty exciting. Yeah, and I, I I've been lucky enough to have you on my uh, on my board for. I remember <laughs> the last three, I think the, the last three rank rank tests. So I I've really enjoyed having you on and, and getting your your feedback and your perspective and your encouragement. Um, they've all you know the years that go between each of those tests and know. you know the life the things that happen in your life and and all that we're we're always at different stages so it's it's interesting to to be able to catch up in between it's it's great well and um, i would i would love to just um have you know unfortunately no one lives right around you know i've got some of my kempo brothers in south st paul but if you live in minneapolis Living where I live in the northwest suburb and St. Paul is like, I might as well drive down to Des Moines sometimes. We seem like we're so far from each other and busy with schedules. But I would love to, uh, I would like to revisit my Kempo forms and and uh, play Kempo with, with everybody up here more, more than I do. Yeah, so. and it, it seems like there's a good, uh, there's a good solid group of, um, there's a new, there's a renewed interest, I think, uh, from the Minneapolis group. And I think good for, um, I think it's exciting for Carl, uh, okay, Carl to have, uh, you know, Josh, uh, Josh Iniguez, who's really, he's, he's got a lot of energy for, for Kempo right now. And, um, it's, it, it's nice to see the next generation starting to pick up. Um, yes. And I, it's nice that I have a resource to go to when I, when I'm, when I do have a, a women's self-defense class up here, I have um, been able to engage Sean Huggins and Jesse. Yeah. Jesse, uh, uh, Jesse, yes, yeah. yes. Jesse <laughs> and Sean did an an amazing uh, class for my um, my two granddaughters and their friends. So talk about awesome. <laughs> how time passes. And uh, we had a great time, and um, my daughter and didn't want her daughter going to college without some self-defense training, and so it comes in handy every once in a while. I wished I had more opportunity to teach than I do, but um, when I moved from California to here, I I uh, I kind of left my um, I had built a business out there, and so I I'm. I where I worked on a full time basis there. I, I'm I'm really when the opportunity comes up here. I I'm not I'm not fully don't have both feet in it back here quite yet. So sure sure. Uh, what advice would you give me as I'm thinking about? Uh, so I've I've never taken um, youth youth students before. 
Uh, uh-huh. it's, it's not something that I, I know I'd be okay at it. I just haven't had the confidence to, to open up, open up the classes to anybody other than adults. Um, and then I'm really interested and this is a two part question. I'm really interested in, uh, advice you would give a male instructor with three 40 year old male students, uh, how to make a class more welcoming to a female student. <laughs> Okay, to a mean because there's all men, and then to have a female come in, you're saying? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um. Well, I I can tell you what I enjoyed is because of the level of mutual respect and camaraderie, and the fact that it was the first environment. It was a unique environment for me because I didn't have any brothers to be able to you know grab punch roll on the ground, throw off, do all this great stuff, and they're like your brothers. So I think creating that healthy atmosphere where a woman can be, well, first of all, you don't want to be treated like a girl. You want to be treated like everybody else. You want to be treated like an individual, like a martial artist, and you want to be respected. And I always felt that way. So if you you, uh, create that atmosphere where it's not – they're no different than anybody else. You don't treat them any different. Um, you don't, uh, if you're, it's a mutual respect and it's a camaraderie and it's a, uh, for me, like I shared more on a personal note, I, I didn't have any brothers and I, I just love the opportunity to have these guys that always have my back and they were my brothers. I remember yeah. a trip, a trip with, uh, down to Leesville, Louisiana, in a car with four martial artists. <laughs> uh, they were awful, but in a funny way. Right. Now there, there, there was a little departure of teasing, but um, but uh, honestly, um, I I just remember feeling like one of the one of the group and not anything specific because of my gender, but just because I was another martial artist. Although I did enjoy being the one that got to grab, squeeze, twist, and pull, elbow, you know, kick, throw, you know. But it was because I was kind of the smaller one. I'm only, you know, 5'2". So I think, I, I'd i like to think it wasn't just because I was a female, but because I was the smaller one and it just made more sense. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I it is. Uh, it's great to. Um, I mean, I think back to the even my first school and learning and and having that that camaraderie and and the the brotherhood um, and then moving into Bobby's system, it was the same thing. You you've always got somebody pushing you to to try a little bit harder to be a little bit better. Um, I've got these pictures that that were taken during testing, and it's just like it, it it just brings these memories rushing back. Where it's like, oh man, I had somebody pushing me that hard, where it looks like I'm about to either pass out or throw up, and you know, it was it, it's the, those are the things that I I miss a little bit. Um, but I also I'm trying to instill that into my students and and have them push each other um, just as much as I was. So it's great. Well, I think you bring up a good point about um, pushing or creating challenges or 
providing a vehicle for people to do things that they didn't think they could have done. And I think today, no different than any other time, except that, you know, with every time comes its challenges. And I think people um, feeling empowered and having that inner strength is more important than ever today to know that you have a voice and that you matter and that you can take more than you think you can. And I think that's where we, where as a martial artist, you have that vehicle and that group and that experience to whether it's breaking a board, whether it's um, passing your brown belt test, whether it's, you know, there's always goals ahead of you that you have to prepare. It teaches you about life is that, you know, if you work hard at something, you get somewhere. Mm-hmm. Had I run the other direction and said, no, no, thank you. I'm not, I'm not going in that gym. I'm out of here. But because I was encouraged and someone had the right attitude to turn it around, I gave it a chance. And I think that's where, whether it's the, a, a new female coming into your class or whatever, is to, you know, make sure that person feels that they have this opportunity and that they will be challenged. People don't want to be bored. They want to be challenged, but within reason. Mm-hmm. And um, there's nothing better than someone accomplishing something. And there's nothing better than a person who has confidence and a person who uh, does things that are harmful or negative or bad are normally people that don't feel that great about themselves. They, right. they feel like failures. Yeah. So I think that's the magic part about martial arts is that it teaches not just the physical, but it teaches the um, the sociological, the psychological, the 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 whole mental part of being a warrior. Yeah, I can't believe we've talked all this time and I haven't brought that word up yet because it's like one of my favorites. Is that you need to be a warrior, and a warrior doesn't mean that you make war. It means that you may have to go to war. Mm-hmm. You may have to protect yourself. You may have to protect others. And ultimately, you must protect yourself and your soul mm-hmm. and your uh, you have to have a warrior spirit. And I see that in the people that I train at the Y, the people that have had um, whether it's accidents or illnesses or um Uh, horrific things happen to them and somehow they come in whether they're in a wheelchair whether they're in a walker whether they're limping whether you know and they come in and they and they try and they work out and they try to improve and to um, uh, get stronger it's about getting stronger and about having that fighting spirit that no matter what happens I'm gonna get back up I'm gonna get back up and I'm going to fight. Yeah. I, I think that's uh, some of, that is a great way to summarize how how to be successful in the arts is to, um, you can, people can call it whatever they want. I think uh, having mm-hmm. that, that spirit 
that that warrior spirit is a, is a great way to put it because you do you have to be just as introspective as you are uh, physically uh, physically in tune with with the system itself. I, you you have to take the time to think about and reflect on the things that you've done as well as show up for class and do the push-ups, do the sit-ups, do the kicks, do the punches. All that stuff is just as important as the mental part of it. Um, so that's that's an excellent way to summarize that. Yeah. Well, that's you had you had asked me before we um, actually set up this um, interview today is that um, how do you kind of connect the martial arts with the the fitness piece? And I think. In both situations, I'm dealing with clients or with students that are trying to overcome something. They're trying to build up. They're trying to get stronger. They're, um, and it does take a physically healthy body when you're, when you're doing martial arts to make sure that you're preparing. I remember I was getting ready for a test, and I can still see this photo of mine where I had pulled a hamstring and I had to wait to take my test and it was, and I had it wrapped and everything and it was, and I heard it when it happened and I did not warm up. I remember that was the reason. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel that um, knowing, uh, knowing more about the preparation of the body for exercise and all that, I think that that, that, that helps me, um, uh, with the two disciplines, but also as as an aging person and of um, being uh, in my 60s now, is that I'm like, um, I see most of my colleagues that I began with that have had hip replacements, <laughs> knee replacements, and it's because they are not maybe making the modifications that they could for uh, uh, kicking, you know, using that impact, that uh, rotation of the hips, the uh, you, there's, there's overuse syndromes and that's what happens with, with the knees and the hips. So I think it's important to prepare your body and that at some point, well, I remember uh, something that Mike Crawley used to say, the Shorn Rue black belt that I kind of grew up in the ranks with. Um, um, he used to say, you know, if God wanted me to fly, he would have given me wings. And that's <laughs> how he would, why he at one time was kind of a large, big dude. He, you you saw the martial artist doing the flying jumping kicks and all that. And he'd just shake his head and he would always say that. And I always got a kick out of that. And I've used that, um, yeah. uh, statement myself. Um, so maybe to be more, um, clear, it's that at some point, does it make sense to maybe, um, maybe not overuse, overuse, overuse your joints and maybe get into some healing arts, which is more like the Tai Chi, at least to start, maybe there's a time to incorporate the, the healing arts where it's slow controlled movements and it's not any kind of, um, you know, Tai Chi is not tensing joints. It's, it's not like the fist isn't like this. It's like this. Everything's just loose. Right. It's relaxed. 
So I guess that if there's any, if any, anyone, any martial artists see this who are maybe having thoughts about maybe modifying some of their martial art workouts um, to avoid some overuse uh, issues with their hip and their knee, and they don't want to go through the replacements and all that, um, it, it might make some sense to consider some of those. And have, have the young folks like you do the jumping, flying stuff. Oh. I mean, I'm... <laughs> That's never been in my wheelhouse. It's never been in my, I I ha, I can't get more than four inches off the ground at any at any point in time. So I'll, well, I'll leave that for the sixteen year olds. For realistic personal safety and self defense, you are grounded. You are not jumping in the air. So um, when I made that transition to just you know generic self defense, uh, I no longer. Um, did a lot of the types of high kicks and all that. It was fun to do at the time. Yeah, but sure. There's a time and place for everything. Yeah, and that's one thing I struggle with uh, over time as I as I go through the curriculum, especially with a group of people that that are my same age, and we're we're all starting to our bodies are all starting to change again as we uh, hit forty or get a little bit past forty, where things hurt a little bit longer than they used to. Um, <laughs> You know, do I make them do the thing where you uh, you have to kneel down on the ground and do a back kick? Uh, you know, we've got a hard floor. I want these guys to be able to come back to class the next time. Right. So there's there's a lot of types of things that, that I take into consideration as well. Um, I I look at the Kyokushin style a lot uh, with with a great deal of respect just for how hard they train. And then yes. I also think about um, probably the the arthritis that will follow them around in their, uh, in their later years. So it happens. I can tell you that, um, because of my right side overuse, um, I actually had some, I did have some hand surgery to remove a bone spur on my right hand. And the, I remember the orthopedic person said, so how'd you get that? Where, you know, did, what, what did you do to, that's definitely kind of an overuse thing. And I said, well, I was either smacking some guy <laughs> or hitting a board. Um, but no, I said, I took a lot of impact on this hand. And um, fortunately, it all looks great now. It's gone. But um, so I did have some issues from the martial arts and uh, uh, probably have a little arthritis in my hips. But, you know, I don't know if it would have been there anyways. But you know, yeah. you just, uh, so I think that there is a way and I'm, I'm really encouraged to hear that you're actually, um, discussing this topic of, Hey, I've got some people in their forties and maybe it's time to, you know, you don't have to do the, the, the snapping of the kick and the, and mm -hmm. the, and especially with the knees and all that type of thing. So. Right. And and now as a personal trainer, I just shudder when I think of some of the things that I used to do. But uh, yeah. Well, uh, as we're wrapping up, what um, is there any advice that you would give to somebody who who's looking for um, or or has been interested in, in getting into the martial arts? Uh, is there any advice that you'd give to them as they're as they're starting their journey? I would, tr I would try if I was, 
if I didn't have any referrals or, um, well, I'd ask for referrals, first of all, from people that I respected. I would also maybe do a, a little um, research into what the different arts are all about and what, what, what their focus is. If I wanted grappling, I may look at one point. If I wanted, um, uh, if I wanted to do mostly kicks, I might look at, uh, you know, something more Korean or, um, you know, something more Taekwondo or where it's like 70% kicks. If I just wanted 50-50, then I would, you know, look into some other systems. And first of all, I would, I would look in my community because you're not likely to travel that far. So I would look at what is geographically close. I would also look at um, going in as a guest and just watching and observing. And I would be concerned if they did not allow visitors or people to observe. I would, I would run, not walk away from that environment. Um, I would also... Um, I would call the Better Business Bureau. I would see how long they've been in business. And 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 I'll take ownership right here too. I I had a really great thing going when I had my little hybrid thing and it was wonderful and I never thought it was going to end and then all of a sudden I found myself moving to California and putting the the fate of all these young people um in somebody else's hands to take over the class and within six months it was totally disbanded and these kids who had just gone up to, to purple and almost up to brown belt were like kind of left and um, it, it, it's probably my biggest regret martial art wise was um, of that happening and I think that also was reason, one reason why it propelled me more to teach the workshop seminar format for personal safety it was it was just time to make that evolve in that place. But so I would want to make sure that this is a group of instructors who have been together for a while that have a, a history and have a, a, a path that they're not afraid to talk about or let you watch. And then to, if you're a female, you want to make sure you know, are there other women in this group? Are there, if you're, you know, if you want this for your child, um, how are these other kids looking? Do they look like they're half scared? Do they look like they're having a good time? Do they look, you know? So I think it's just getting out there and getting a sense of things. I don't yeah. know if, if that answered any of what you asked. I tend no, to. I, <clears throat> no, I, no, 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 it was great. That was great. And I think uh, I asked that question uh, during most of the podcast because I, I do, um, I think it can be intimidating for people who have never done this before to walk into a place that they might have, again, some of those, um, not prejudices, but preconceived notions about what a class might be like uh, in yes. the martial arts. And, you know, is it, am I going to go in and get beat up? Do I have to prove myself right away? Uh, what do I need to know when I go in? So I think it's good uh, for people to know that it, if you feel like it's a bad fit for you, that it's okay to turn around and walk away and find something different. Uh, because yes. I, I wish somebody would have given me that advice when I first started. And um, I just knew, I, 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 when people asked me how I got into Kempo, 
it was one of those situations where I had a, a friend of mine who I had known for years and he walked up, showed me one thing. I trusted him. I loved what he showed me. And I was just like, boom, that's for me. I go in and the rest is history. It's, um, it should feel that, that good or that easy for people. Um, I, I wish that that's how it felt for everybody. <laughs> I think if you know it's right, you'll um, you'll go with it, and that's kind of been where um, how I when I look back and I do I do have a colorful history in the martial arts, and I feel that I have been blessed with meeting really good people and having really good experiences. And I don't know that that is true for everyone who ventures out there. And I think you have to trust your gut and your instincts um, to feel that this is the right thing for you. And if you feel any intimidation at all, you're in the wrong place. And um, so I'm, I'm, uh, and and it doesn't hurt to just you know get a referral from someone um, as well. Um, and now, because of social media, there's there's a lot of information out there. There, there really not just is. the yellow pages back in the day when I started. I and everyone thinks I I've had this empowered life and I've just made all these wonderful decisions. And I I uh, I um, I chuckle because I think some of our best opportunities happen when things don't may, maybe go right. You know, I had a, a broken marriage and was supporting two kids and needed to go back to school and just happened to need a fi physical education credit and and just happened to have Richard Smith, who was this just warm and gracious person. And had it been any other scenario, I I, I wouldn't be here. And I I, I feel that my my I've had such incredible moments that I am so thankful and blessed and and um, and and I also feel as much as I miss the um, the uh, the teaching of the of karate of you know of the of the of that piece of it of kind of evolving into the personal safety and self-defense part I feel that that was my mission and my destiny. And I think that was, I feel that it was there the moment I walked into that gym. I was a woman that needed empowerment. I was someone who needed to build herself up. I was someone that needed to overcome some uh, violent situations that had occurred. I think I think that we all just, if we if we trust our instincts and we just go forward and um, I think great things can really happen. I never dreamt at that stage that one day I would be riding a, a Navy ship from San Diego to Honolulu teaching self-defense on board a ship. I, I would have uh, never dreamed that it would be dawn break and uh, the break of dawn and they would be knocking on my my um, room on the ship and saying, hey, the sun's coming up. You told us to get you up. So I ran <laughs> up there and I saw the sun come up over Diamond Head. And then we went into the, uh, through the Arizona Memorial. And, you know, it was just, 
I mean, how do you ever forget something like that? It was just amazing. Um, uh, we did, it was amazing to have that opportunity. And how did those things happen? Well, it just, you just put yourself out there and you just, you never know. And, and, uh, so I have a lot of stories to tell. You don't have enough time to hear all my stories, but I will tell you that I just, if there was any takeaway from anyone watching this is just to, um, you know, you may be a person that needs to, uh, go somewhere or provide something or, you know, just provide a vehicle for someone or a group or anyone to feel good about themselves, to enrich themselves. Um, cause that's where it's at. It's not about, you know, collecting black belts or collecting all these achievements, but it's like, what did that mean to the people that you, uh, shared information with? Yeah. Pretty, I, pretty amazing. Pretty that's, amazing. That's, uh, I think what a, what a great, um, what a great attitude to have about, about the arts. Um, I, I've, I personally have, uh, been led astray before on in, in my journey and I think coming back to that has always proven to be the the right approach where I feel most fulfilled and I know the students feel most fulfilled as well um, and I would love to have more time and I would love to have you back on uh, and do another interview with you to hear some of those stories um, and I think we always get to this point where we spend time getting to know uh, the story and then uh, I, there's just never enough time to go through all of them, but I definitely yeah, want I'm, to be back on. I'm, I'm always open for part two. I have some, uh, um, I worked with, um, in the, in the self-defense piece, I worked with different, um, areas of law enforcement out in San Diego who, um, provided me not just, um, more training for what I was doing, but um, they were my assistant instructors. So I have lots of stories of lots of um, interesting scenarios um, that uh, just got out there into the community. Um, that's that's a chapter I'll never forget. So I, I'm, I've been blessed with lots of great chapters, but um, definitely, definitely, willing to do a part two. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you, uh, Shihan Patty for, for your time today. And, um, I can't wait to get this up and, and let people, let people listen. So oh, good. I thanks. hope you heard something you, that, that'll, you know, benefit anybody. That'd be great. This. this was awesome. Thanks so much. Enjoy the, the rest of your weekend. Thank you. And, and thank you for inviting me to, to talk with you. It was a lot of fun. Yes, it was. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay,